Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. It's the Spirit of God that gives us wisdom. We're looking through these parables primarily from my point of view is because of the words of read in the Bible. Those are the words of Jesus. So we thank you for it and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me, let me hold again and get started on this. If you were with us last week, we, we, we read through the entire story. But what I said is there's, there's so much in this story, we needed to break it up into three pieces. And I think it's always good to read it through, don't you think? I think we'll read it, read it through. So just, just, to, just to make, uh, do it in quick time, I'm going to hold ahead and read the story for you. This is out of the New King James, and, uh, and then we'll get going on it. So this is Luke 15, verse, starting in verse 11. It says, Then he said, this is Jesus, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger, younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. There's that word, prodigal. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was, was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what, are these, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Great story. And you can see why this, this fits so nicely into three different pieces. Remember that these parables, Jesus was asked why he spoke in parables. And he said, the reason I speak in parables is this. He said, for, for, those, for, those, that, for, for those of the kingdom, uh, for those are to know the, uh, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but for some it is not to be known. 
So these parables are mysteries of the kingdom of God. So they're not stories about how to get along with your neighbor or how to be a friend or how to be a good husband or a good wife. They're, they're stories about the kingdom of God. So we're always gonna take a look at the kingdom and we're gonna look at the characters in these stories and we're gonna to try to see often we're gonna find God because the thing about a kingdom, a kingdom always has a king. So often these parables are nothing, are really about the king. And now we talked, last week we talked about the son. And if you remember the story of the son, it was, I mean, it was kind of despicable because it started off by basically him coming to his father and asking for an inheritance. And in my house, that would be pretty rude. I mean, we didn't talk, I don't know about your house, but we didn't talk about money in my house. I never asked my dad how much money he made or how much money he had in the bank. I mean, I, I don't remember ever having those conversations. Did, did, was, it that, like, was it that way in your house also? I mean, it was kind of rude, wasn't it? I mean, I never knew how much my dad's salary was. Um, I never, in fact, I remember how much money they paid for their house because it was a little bit older. I was probably nine or 10 years old when we moved and you know, we were going through the houses. There was a big sign in front of the house, you know, you know, three bedrooms, $35,000. Remember those days, you know? <laughs> that was a long time ago, right? I've got a car worth more now, you know? So $35,000 for a house. But, but that was the only time we ever knew anything about money. But this, this, this son decided that he wanted his inheritance. And of course, we know that he went and, and, and wasted it. In fact, his older son gives us an idea of what he spent his money on because he said he spent it on harlots as well. But we already talked about the son, and the son kind of came to his senses, but that's where we want to pick up today. We want to talk about the father. And, and it kind of starts off in, in, verse, in verse 17 when we're still talking about the son. It says, he says, he kind of came to himself. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Now, here's the thing. If you missed kind of our little warm-up, I was talking about in, in church as a pastor, and I learned about confidence monitors. And confidence monitors were little TV monitors that had your script and your notes, whatever it was that you wanted. But the idea was not to rely on them, but to have confidence that if for some reason I'm kind of jabbering away and I forget where I am, I can look down at the, con at the monitor and have confidence that the notes are there. Think of the confidence that the son had in the father. He said, if he just treats me as one of his servants, I'm way better off. If, I, if he just if he at least just takes me in as one of his servants. I don't, I don't wanna be his son, I, I've wasted that. But he had confidence that his father would treat him well. You know, a lot of people back in these days, a lot of servants were actually what we call slaves. In fact, the word for servant and the word for slave in the Greek is pretty much the same. And in the new modern translations of the Bible, they often, they often translate it as a servant but just as easily could be translated slave. And we don't usually use the word slave because that means something to us. You know, it's, it's all, it was all too recent in the American history, American past, that we understood what slavery was like. And it was this horrible evil. So as a result, we, we don't look at these words as slaves, but actually that's kind of the treatment people had. And many people abused their servants. Um, they didn't treat them very well. In fact, we see that this, this boy, um, 
joined himself to a citizen of the country, which means he didn't, all he did was he, he, he sold himself into slavery, is what he did. And it says that he wasn't even getting the pods that he was feeding the pigs. But he had confidence in the Father. So the first thing we learn about this, because we're looking at a parable, looking for the king, and we're going to see that the Father is representing God, none other than God the Father, this, this righteous, holy, loving Father. And the Son has confidence because he knows that he can go home, and even if he's treated as a slave, he's going to be so much better off, so much better off. But look what happens. And, that, and, and, he, and he rose, verse 20, it says, he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. See, long before the boy even decided he was going to return to the father, the father still loved the son. He still loved the son, which is a great lesson for us. In fact, all through the Bible, all through the Bible, we see Israel misbehaving. And we see um, incidents of, of people, even in the New Testament, that are, that are warned about their, their sin and falling short of what God really wants them to do. But all during that time and everywhere in the Bible, the Father continues to love us. There's never a point in the Bible that anybody that turns to God, that he would reject them. Never. There's, six, there's 66 books in the Bible, and there's nowhere in the Bible that anybody has ever turned to God with a repentant heart and is rejected. That just doesn't happen. But here's the thing. In society today, that happens very often. It happens very often. Now, I think it's a little less today than it was, but in, in it's especially some of the groups coming out of Europe, <laughs> I don't know what your stock is. You know, when you went to Ancestry.com and you find out that you're from Poland, you're from Germany, you're from Italy, but I can tell you that in a lot of those nationalities, there's not a lot of forgiveness. There's not a lot of forgiveness. Uh, if a son turns against his father, my son is dead. I want to have nothing to do with it. We see this. We see these on on comedies on TV. You know, you have a comedy on TV where there's a wedding and the and the and the two sisters are getting together for the first time in 20 years, and they don't want to talk to each other. There's there's no forgiveness. But see, the father's not like that. This father is loving and kind, and long before the son even gets there, the father's looking for the son to return. There's an anticipation in the father's heart that his child who had turned away from him would return. And that's what it says. It says, um, the son finally says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And you see what follows is not a discussion about the sin. There's no discussion about son, tell me what you've been doing, or you know you shouldn't have done that. The, the son already is making a confession. He says, I know I shouldn't have done this. And the son just wants to be treated like a servant, but the father will have nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with it. The father said to his servants, verse 22, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Now, what we don't understand in this culture, the idea of hospitality is key. It's key. I mean, we don't really understand hospitality like the people of the Middle East did, especially during this time of, of Jesus. But you see, back then, they didn't have Holiday Inns. They didn't have the Marriott's. People didn't have credit cards. They didn't have easy traveling. They couldn't make reservations online. 
or make pick up a phone call and just call ahead and make a reservation at an inn. Um, they didn't have that. People that traveled always needed to rely on the hospitality of the local people in order to bring them in. And this reference to the fatted calf indicates the hospitality that the father was willing to show to complete strangers. You see, at any given time, there was always the next meal. <laughs> now, the next meal back then wasn't sitting at Publix. The next meal back then had four hooves and was sitting in the field. Mm -hmm. But they knew what it was. It was, it was the calf that had been fatted. It was, it was ready for the guest to be able to be hospitable. It was, it, in fact, it was the choice. You see, hospitality back then didn't mean that, oh, I guess what I can do is I can put you up in my garage or I can put you up in the inn like they did for, uh, for Joseph and Mary, right? It was, no, I want you to come into my house and I'm gonna give you the very best. I'm gonna offer you the very best. That's what the fatty calf is for. And that's what the father's doing. The father is basically treating this son that was lost as if he was the honored guest, the honored guest. You give your very best to the stranger. You give your very best to the person that's traveling. And that's what the father's doing. He's, he's giving him the very best. And that's why he's saying, he says, get the robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, okay? He's giving him the very best. The son was hoping to be treated like a servant. And instead he's being given the, the very best. Now he says something here, he says, for this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Now remember that we said that the context of all three of these stories, remember the three stories? We had the story of the lost coin, we had the story of the lost sheep, the 99 and one, and now we have the story of the lost son. And if you remember when we said at the very beginning of, the, of Luke 15 was the context that was given. And the context was the Pharisees were complaining that Jesus was spending too much time with tax collectors and sinners, which in the Pharisees' mind, in our modern mind, is the same thing, okay? I mean, it's the same thing. People that are collecting taxes, which are extorting money from the people in order to give it to Rome, and the sinners are the same thing. They're the very worst of the very worst. And Jesus is spending time with them. And he gives these parables to them in order to show, no, this is, this is exactly why, this is exactly why I'm telling you these stories. You've, you've got the wrong heart. One of the things that the Pharisees would have said, and in many cultures today, you still hear it, is that this son of mine is dead. When the son went against the wishes of the father, when the children did something that was, in fact, when families did something that was against the laws of the country, they would often ostracize them. They would say, these people are dead to me. They would turn their back on them. They would pretend that they didn't exist. It's really kind of the very worst punishment that people can give you. Can you imagine being a group of people and everybody is talking with everybody, but you're being completely ignored? And that's the idea of being dead to me. And this is exactly what the Pharisees would have recommended. You see, if, if Jesus was telling this story, and he was, and the Pharisees were in earshot, they would have already judged what the, what the son did was unforgivable, unforgivable. And the best thing that the father could do to save face would be to say, the son is dead. I had two sons, I only have one left because the younger son is 
dead. And that's what he's making reference here. He's saying, he's saying, for this my son was dead and is alive again. Now see, the father never treated him that way because it says that the father was still waiting for him to return. It was anxious for his, him to return. But that's how the Pharisees would have expected people to be treated. They encouraged that. They encourage that. And like I said, we see a little bit of that today in today's society. I mean, you might know that in your family. It seems like every family that I talk to, there's always a black sheep in the family. There's somebody that's outside and doesn't get invited to Thanksgiving, you know? No. So you know, let me tell you, I've got an uncle, I've got a brother-in-law like that. I can understand, okay? I mean, there are, there are some people that that you shouldn't invite back to Thanksgiving. It isn't because, or count the silver, or, or count the silver before you do, exactly right. And it isn't because we, we are treating them badly. It's basically they, they, they treat us badly. They, just, just, they don't know how to be around civilized people. Does anybody remember? Exactly, I mean, I mean the, the idea is this, is there's only a few words that the father has to say, but his actions speak, speak volumes. The, the concept of putting a, a ring on his finger. Rings are always, and we see this at wedding ceremonies, rings are always a symbol of a covenant. It's always a promise between people. Uh, even, even young kids today, kids that are 14 and 15 years old, they shouldn't be dating, by the way. They shouldn't be dating at 14, 15 years old, but they do. But they'll, 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 give, they'll give each other friendship rings. Sometimes two girls, or two, not two boys, but two girls will give each other friendship rings. And it's a, it's a covenant, it's a promise. It'd be like, we belong together. We're, we're part of each other. So by putting a, a ring on his finger, he's reestablishing this covenant. This, this, this covenant that really was never broken. It was broken from the point of the, younger, of the younger son, but it wasn't broken from the perspective of the father. The father, in fact, remember how, how outrageous it was. We said, we said last week that there were a couple surprises. One, that the son would even ask for the inheritance. That was scandalous, but it was just as much a surprise that the father would actually comply. They would actually take his goods and his property and be able to parcel it out and find a way to convert it into liquid money so that the son could travel with it. That was kind of outrageous. But the covenant was, was never, never broken. It's a way of, it's a way of saying, um, everything I have is yours. In fact, he says that later to the older son. But by putting the ring on his hand, he's doing that. He's extending the family back to him. Even though he's already taken his inheritance, he's restoring everything that the son has already squandered. And let me tell you, and, and we can kind of end with this. That's a wonderful way to think of the father, of the think of God that way, is that regardless of how foolish we sometimes are, you know, Regardless of how silly we are or how immature we sometimes act, the Father God is always willing to put the ring on our finger and to reestablish that everlasting covenant with us, to treat us, to treat us as if we had never, had never left, that, that we're, we're still there. And, and then this gives, me, this gives me great comfort. I mean, it gives me great comfort. Jesus is, is telling us something about God. In fact, Jesus said this once before. He said, nobody's ever seen the Father, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, it's difficult to get an understanding of who God is. And sometimes, all too often, we think of God as this, this harsh judge that is handing out judgment, that's you know, throwing lightning bolts. The Greeks thought of that, right? I mean, Zeus was 
picture throwing lightning bolts down at the down at the mortals, right, and frying them and killing them and and wiping them out. And all too often, we'll we'll read through some of the stories in the Old Testament. We'll read through the Bible, and we have this idea that God is this this harsh judge that's that's holding us accountable. All too long, the church was like that, you know, for for centuries. The church basically taught the same thing that God was this. Very, very harsh judge. In fact, what's interesting is the church reestablished a lot of the Old Testament traditions. If you've been in a church that has, a, has an altar rail, you know, you, have the, you kind of have the pulpit and you have where the ministers, the priests are kind of functioning and talking, and then you have this altar rail. Well, you know, that altar rail symbolizes the, the kind of the separation in the Old Testament between God and the people. And back then, they needed a priest that could go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice for the people because they were unholy. They were the great unwashed. And, all, and unfortunately, what the church did is they, they started reenacting these things and putting up these altar rails. And, and I, I don't like the altar rails because the altar rails kind of is a reminder of a God that is separated from man. But we can see that in this story, Jesus is saying, no, no, don't, you've got the wrong idea. God is this, this loving father. It says that he, he came and embraced him and fell on his neck. Falling on your neck is an Old Testament. It's a, the way the Bible says that you, you've, been, you've gotten a bear hug. I mean, you've, you've got a bear hug. I tell you, true, true story. When, when we were, have you, ever, have you ever been a member of a church that's a touchy-feely church? A touchy-feely church where they do a lot of touching, a lot of hugging? Well, we ended up going to a church. It was a wonderful church. And my, but my wife, you know, guys know, you know, you guys know my wife, Carol. Carol is not a hugger, okay? Now, she's gotten better over the years, okay? She's gotten better over the hug, and she'll, she'll return the embrace. But she's not one to typically initiate it, okay? Well, we were in a church. We were in a church where, you know, a lot of times our churches say, hey, why don't you go ahead and say hello to some of your friends and, you know, shake hands? Well, our church took that seriously. It would last about 10 minutes, okay? And people would just be hugging and falling on each other and giving each other's bear hugs. And, and there was a guy in the church. His name was, his name was Bob Ferguson, okay? And he, he, was, he was a great man. I, I love Bob. Bob and his wife, Sharon, we became really good friends. In fact, they lost their house at one time. They ended up moving in with us for a short time. Um, so we were, we were real good friends. The, our kids used to play with their kids. Well, Bob was a bear of a man. I mean, he, was, he looked like Dick Buckus. I mean, he was just this, this big guy, about 6'3", had a big black beard, you know, looked like a lumberman. And he was a hugger. And, and he loved he loved hugging my wife, and I would say, I, I, it was kind of funny because I I'd be up I'd be up I was one of the elders so I would be up often at the front and uh, you know, I'd be out of my pew and I and I kind of watch and here would come Bob around the back of the church and I'd see my wife going around the other side and they would kind of, they would kind of circle each other like this you know just kind of circle each other because she's trying to stay away because she knows she's going to get a bear hug she just doesn't like it. But, but here's the thing, and, and this is the thing. When, when it says that the father fell on his neck and kissed him, this is, this is the embrace of the father. This is, this is without any reservation. This is, this is not standoffish. This is not just saying, how do you do, or shaking your hand. This is, this is a full embrace. And that's what Jesus wants us to know about the father. These, these parables are nothing more than a, than a picture a picture of, of the kingdom of God, 
And we've already seen us at the beginning, right? This prodigal son, because you might not have done exactly that, but all of us have strayed. All of us have done things that were immature. All of us have done things that we could regret. And even when you do that, if you return back to the father, the father is already waiting for you. And he's willing to put the ring on your, on your finger. He's willing to give you the sandals, kill the fatted calf, treat you like you're the very, very best of all time and be able to, to bring you back into into his kingdom because he loves you so much. So let's end there. What next You've week been we're listening do to is, Faith uh, Dialogue uh, with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.